You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 73. Today's topic, Hidden Girl, the true story of a modern child slave, a conversation with Shima Hall. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, we are back today with a conversation that I know will be one that everyone who cares about this issue will want to hear and can learn from in order to help all of us to end human trafficking. And I'm really excited to be able to have you introduce our guest today. Well, I couldn't be more excited because I've watched Shima Hall become an amazing advocate for ending human trafficking. And so we're very excited to have Shima Hall here. Welcome, Shima. Hello. Hi. So thanks for giving us your time. I think... um, when I first started talking with you a long, long time ago, you were thinking about writing a book and you'd started writing on pages. I saw your binder. Um, we collected some news stories and added them to your binder. And now next week, well, it'll be um, the week that this podcast comes out, your book, Hidden Girl, The True Story of a Modern Child Slave, will be on the shelves in bookstores, will be um, available to download on your your reading device, whatever it is. And I just want to hear how you wrote the story and what you want people to know about. Well, I wrote the story, I wrote the book after I became a United States citizen. Um, that was started in 2011. This is when um, everything really started coming together. Um, in 2011, it was, I think, December 15th, I, I watched mm-hmm. you on the news while you stood and put your hand on your heart and, and gave the pledge and um, became a U.S. naturalized citizen. And it was exciting because Mark Aubin was there and your immigration yeah. attorney was there. Um, tell us about Mark a little bit. Is he in your book? Yes, he is. Uh, um, Mark is a big, he's a big inspiration to me. He's like the little kid superhero. He's my superhero. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so he means a lot to me. He's always been like a father figure to me, a friend, anything I needed. So Mark is an ICE agent. Um, he was one of um, the agent that was in charge of my case and was always there from day one from the day I got rescued until today. <laughs> so tell us about the day you got rescued. Where were you living and what were you doing before that knock on the door? See, I lived in a very nice neighborhood that's um, clothes, gated, everything in Irvine. Um, I lived in a house with a mother and a father and two boys and three girls. Those were their kids. And I was, um, I was their maid. I helped them out, but while well, I did everything, <laughs> um, I 
my job was to clean the house, to wash clothes, and to take care of them from, from A to Z pretty much. And the whole house and the kids' food. And did you actually live in the house? Um, well, it was, my room was in the garage. Okay, so you slept in the garage. Yes. Yes, and um, you did their laundry in the house, but where did you do your laundry? Um, I did my laundry in a bucket in the garage as well. So, so how old were you when they brought you to the United States as a child slave? I was eight years old. Okay. So it's um, very obvious that there's a child doing, doing work. And so one day somebody noticed that you weren't going to school, so they called. And tell us what yeah. happened the day that Irvine police came to check on you. Um, well, I was just doing the normal housework and when the door knocked very loudly, um, but the, um, the father of the house, he came downstairs and he opened the door because I wasn't allowed to open doors. And um, he opened the door and all you hear is just yelling in English. I didn't speak any of it, so I didn't understand what was going on. Um, a few minutes later, the door closes. He slams it, um, and then not even five minutes later, the door knocks again crazy, and a bunch of ladies and guys just barge in the house, and um, they, I guess, saw me in the corner, and they just came and took me out of the house. So did you think you were being rescued, or do you think you were being taken? Um, I would say I, I was being taken. So you you weren't excited about being in a in a police car at that time. No, because you know I stayed with the family for two years, and all they told me was, you know, if you ever get, um, if you ever the police sees you or taken away, I'm never gonna see my family again. I'm never gonna um, be able to go like I don't know home or. They, they will hate you. They always heard the worst about the cops. So, so you were very afraid. And this is important for people to understand because sometimes we think, wow, we're going to go rescue victims of human trafficking. And then they don't jump and want us to rescue them because they're very afraid. And you were afraid. Well, definitely. I mean, you get told pretty much your life, you know, these are the people that's bad. These are the people that's not going to get you anywhere better than what you're in right now. Um, and then that's the first thing that happens. These are the people that shows up or you see uniforms and, you know, yeah. that's all you can think of. Well, and w- when I first talked to you, you told me you were about 12 years old the day that happened. But um, yeah. when I talked to um, Special Agent Mark Abend, um, he tells me that you'd been in um, get, receiving child welfare services. You were at Orangewood and in foster care for almost two years before you started telling your story. Yes. So um, it took me a long time. How did you finally get brave enough to start telling your story? I guess in the beginning, I was just very scared to tell what happened or anything else because I was 
always in the back of my head, I don't want to go back to these people and be like, you know, get in trouble um, with the family um, or for them to hit me or anything. So I didn't see anything. Um, but um, I guess I just, I learned a little of English. I, I was able to understand more of what's going on and um, to see that what they did wasn't right and every person has a right um, and they don't have to be treated so bad. And um, I guess I took it from there and when eyes came and they saw me when I lived there with my second foster parents, they, you know, I, I was, I was ready um, to be, you know, okay, if, if this is what's going to cause all these bad people to go to jail and stop doing their everyday, you know, treating people like they're nothing, then I'm, I'm up for it. Yes, and up for it is how I would describe you. You are brave <laughs> and determined. So tell us about the day they invited you to come to the court for sentencing because you were a minor. Um, they didn't have you there for the whole trial, but they wanted mm -hmm. you to have the opportunity to speak if you felt like it at the sentencing. Tell us about that day. I wasn't going to talk during the trial. And the trial, I mean... It took so long. Um, it finally ended in 2007. Um, and um, it was, it was, I, I was really scared to go in there and have to see these people again because I haven't seen them since I left them. Mm -hmm. um, and they, the mom got up first. She spoke her, however she thinks it is, her piece, I guess. <laughs> Um, of how she was misunderstood and uh, she was ignorant to the law. She didn't know that having me was against the law. And uh, um, if I would have asked her to go back home, she would have um, sent me back home. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, um, and that was her thing. <laughs> And uh, then the father got up and he as well said his piece, but um, he wasn't really as hard. Um, I don't know how to say it, honestly, other than cold-blooded like her. He wasn't. He was, I'm sorry for what I did, mm -hmm. and I'm sorry if I caused you any harm. And um, um, that was it, really, from him. He didn't say too much. Okay. Um, and he... Um, and he sat down, um, and then the mom got up again, and she said, you know, she doesn't think it's fair that she was in court on Eid, which is, you know, Muslims' holidays. Mm. Um, she should be with her family and her kids, and um, she shouldn't be here, and how it's so unfair, and this and that. And I, I got a little upset, because this is the person that always lived her life freely and took other people's freedom away from her and she was upset that one day she had to come to the court for what has what she's done wrong so what did so you do I, I i finally decided to stand up and say you know i don't i don't think it's fair that you're you're upset that you're you know you're here when 
you took all that away from me like I didn't mean anything and I didn't mean nothing. She stole my childhood from me and that doesn't mean anything to her, I guess. Mm. So what happened next? Um, after that, the, the judge took his moment. He, he decided that they, um, they, um, they have four days, I guess, until they turn their self in. Um, because I guess because of the kids, they give them that option, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. and the mom had two years, which is how many years I, she had me in Mm -hmm. the U S and the dad had three years. Mm. Um, actually they got arrested the same day because, um, they weren't a United States citizen. Mm. So they ended up getting arrested the same day, right then and there in front of me in court. And how did that make you feel? Um, I gotta say, as <laughs> mean as it sounds, I was happy because these are the people that thought of me as I'm nobody and nothing. So um, it was it was a good day. I I remember the first time that I heard you tell that story. And um, the sentence I wrote down was, they went to justice. And I've heard you so many times talk about justice. Tell me about justice and human trafficking. What does that mean to you? Uh, I Justice, I guess, to me is, you know, when a bad person actually get, get to go to jail for exactly what they did. Mm. And um, justice doesn't always work in people's favor, but in my case, the system worked very well. I got to be rescued. I got to have great agents that actually cared about the case, cared about me, and um, they were willing to help, and they were willing to bring justice to, to me, to every person that gets put in that spot to be, you know, to say that don't be scared to come out and ask for help. But that wasn't really the end of your story. That was kind of the beginning of your story because you really turned your life around. What have you been doing since then? Oh, wow. Um, Mm. (laughs) You learned to speak English. You learned to speak English and you speak really well. I'm proud of you. Yeah, and you're an amazing advocate, survivor advocate, speaking up for other victims, and now you've written a book. Um, what's your goal eventually? Um, eventually, I will feel like it soon to be um, my goal, to become an ICE agent, so I can be out there just like Mark and be able to help people in my situation, because I, I know how it feels, and I know how a victim is always get looked at sometimes as um, the one they've done wrong when they're the victims. So I want to be out there and be able to help. So how can we help people recognize um, victims that we don't realize are there as a slave? How, how would you tell people to do a better job of, of making those calls about people they see? Well, um, there, there's actually quite like the way they... The, the the way they act, the way they um, it's, they feel 
they feel sad all the time, no matter what place they're in. Even if you're in the happiest place on the easy land, you still feel, you know, unwanted. Um, you, the, they're always the one that's carrying the bag for the whole family. They're always the people that don't go to school. They're the one that always has an excuse of what, if they're being hurt or anything, they always have an excuse for it. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of ways. There's always if you if you see something wrong, you should call. You you should definitely call. Um, sometimes it's not the best way to call a police officers or the police department because they're not trained to to deal with things like that. And sometimes they can just not know what to do with it and they don't see anything wrong. That's why it's good to call. You know, a human traffic number, eyes, um, like something that can be direct to them and to their help. So the number that we give is the Human Trafficking Hotline, 888-3737-888. So Shima wants you to write that down so that if you see something, you call and report it. Definitely. So tell us how excited you are about your book that's coming out. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm um, uh, um, it seems like it's a dream to come true, but it, it you know, it, with all the great help that I have from Simon Chesser and my agent, um, um, Charlene, it's everything, it's just, they all been so amazing to help me with it, to reach out my goals and to tell people, you know, human traffic is out there. It's not like, you know, in history books, um, so it's it's pretty great to actually tell people, you know, about it. So the book is available online at places like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can get it as a Kindle. Um, the description of it says an inspiring and compelling memoir from a young woman who lost her childhood to slavery and built a new life grounded in determination and justice. I love determination and justice. Shima, that describes you. That describes you. So Thank you. are you, um, are, do you have plans for your next book already? Oh, no, I don't. No. Um, I just, I, ha- I have plans to, um, to become an ice. I have plans to, you know, to enjoy my daughter. Um, I just, you know, that's my number one Lance, you know? Yes, I was so excited to see recent pictures of your daughter. She's adorable. Just Thank absolutely you. adorable. Um, so, and I want people to know that you're going to be a speaker at our March conference, Ensure Justice, Why Is She a Slave? And we're going to talk about some of the things that make girls more likely to be victims of human trafficking and where you came from, Shima, in Egypt, was it more likely um, that girls would be child slaves? Definitely, yes. I guess I, where I come from, it's more of the man has the dominance of um, over women, and that's how you grow up to be, pretty much. And um, they have the age from 16 years old, you can actually become a maid. Mm. Um, either with your family giving you to these people or, you know, you got to pay a debt that you have or some people just because 
you know, and they take the person that they want. So and, um, it says in the book description here, you were eight years old when your parents sold you. Yeah. So had you gone to school at all? No. No. So by the time you were rescued when you were 12 years old, um, that was when you first started going to school. Yes. Wow. So you're so far ahead of the rest of us because you speak two languages <laughs> and um, you're, I think you're assistant manager in your job and you're yes. preparing to study to become an ICE agent. That's amazing. So, Thank you. Plus you took the exam to become a citizen. I was just born here. I never had to take a test. So that's pretty impressive. Um, I, you know, I've been given a great opportunity to stay in the U.S. And I, I love it. And I want to use everything that it offers, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're very committed to bringing more awareness to other people so that you can help other victims. And that is so commendable. I am absolutely, I'm your big fan, big fan. Thank you. Okay, so tell me now what um, what we can do to help find more victims. If you're an ICE agent and you come to my school and you do some training for us, what are you going to teach us? As it, bad as it sounds, I'm going to be pointing at the girls to for them to to watch out where they go, who they talk to, um, the internet, the, um, um, even your your friends that saying, oh, I have a guy that can be have us as become a models uh, out of nowhere. That uh, these are the people you stay away from, and girls are their number one for human traffic. They gonna go grab from the youngest. Because they're going to take the youngest and they are going to have them train them to for whatever they want them, either a maid, a, a sex traffic, to anything. Um, so um, you just you have to be aware of your surrounding and who you really talk to. And when you were a volunteer at the police department, I think you were um, involved with Explorers. Um, mm-hmm. yes. how, how did you reach out to other youth through the explorers? Yeah, see, I didn't do too much of human traffic. I more focus on um, of um, I focus on um, let's see, the, my training, everything else. I did speak whenever I needed to speak, and usually to even if there are uh, police officers to help the police officers do, you know how to treat a victim, um, how to, to um, n- not treat them as, you know, if they don't want help, they don't want help. They want it. They're just scared to ask for it. Um, and that's mainly what I did. Okay. So so you helped train the police, and I know you helped train um, ICE agents like um, Special Agent Mark Abend. Um, so you helped them understand the victim-centered approach so that they understand when you say no um, and you don't want to tell them it's because of the fear of what's going to happen if you if you say something because of what you were told beforehand. And um, so it takes a lot of patience and a long time to get a good case that where you can get a conviction. And that's why 
um, the agents and the people around you besides the agents were so important. If you didn't feel safe and secure in, in a nice, um, comfortable place, then you're not going to be willing to, to tell your story. And without your story, we don't have the testimony to prosecute the case. So um, that's, that's a really important, and you're, you're very brave to tell that story. And um, it will impact a lot of people and other victims that will be rescued because you keep telling your story over and over again. Um, I am so excited to see you in March. I just can't wait to get to meet Athena in person as well. And um, before we we close here and give people some information, um, I want to tell them how they can follow you. How can they follow you and see what you're doing? Because I know you're going to be doing a lot more survivor advocacy. How do they find you? Um, I am on Twitter for um, Shima Hall News. And as well on Facebook, I am on Shima Hall News. And um, I do put in stuff about human traffic. I put in um, what I'm doing when I'm doing it. Um, and a little advice here and there. Um, Shima Hall News, N-E-W-S. Okay, we're going to all go there and become your followers. And we want you to really do well and keep us posted on when you actually become um, an agent. That's going to be exciting. And those of you who are listening to this program, if you want to come to the conference, you can go to gcwj.vanguard.edu and click on conference and register Early bird rates end um, the middle of February. And if you want to share this podcast with others, you can go on iTunes and subscribe or download it, or you can find it on our webpage. Um, just click on podcasts. Absolutely, Sandy. And I want to thank Shima Paul for being our guest today. Shima, thank you so much for being with us. And her book is Hidden Girl. The True Story of a Modern Child Slave. It's going to be released January 21st. And uh, by the time this episode airs, it will already be out. So go check I'll it out. Have, I'll have already finished reading it because yeah. I ordered a pre-order copy. Oh, good, good. I, I can't wait to get uh, to get my hands on a copy too. And uh, this, uh, So go check it out on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And if you have a comment or question for us... Of course, you can always reach out to us at gcwj.vanguard.edu, or you can reach us by email, gcwj at vanguard.edu. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shima. Bye-bye. See you in two weeks. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.